You're listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your hosts, Josh Furlong and Robert Jackson. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. I'm Josh Furlong, joined with Robert Jackson. We had another great weekend of college football. It was an entertaining one, to say the least. So uh, we're excited to chat about it and get on to it. But first, uh, we wanted to, to kind of announce something. We have an announcement. We talked about it last week that uh, we were going to do this. We just needed to get the I's dotted, the T's crossed, all that nonsense. But uh, joining us this year will be Solomon Enos. Uh, wide receiver for the University of Utah. Unfortunately, today we had to change the schedule, so he, w- he was supposed to join us today, but uh, we will have to reschedule with that. But look forward to that. We're excited to, to have him join with us each week, being able to talk about you know his life as well as you know the Utah football program and what's going on each week and, and trying to diagnose that. So uh, we're excited about that, but uh, Rob, let's, let's uh, talk some football. You ready for that? Yeah, you know, it was another great weekend of college football. It's always great to uh, to have your team win. Utah got uh, took care of business. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, Southern Utah was completely outmatched in that one. Usually when the second team comes in, we'll talk about this more uh, when we do our Southern Utah recap and kind of look ahead a little bit to, to San Diego State. Usually when that second team comes in, the points start, you know, uh, accumulating. But uh, Utah's second team was still able to put up some points and, uh, you know, there were a lot of positives in that game, a lot of things that you um, to look at that they improved from week one. Granted, the opponent wasn't the same level as Florida, but it was an exciting weekend for for Utah, as well as some other local teams. They got some big wins. Um, the Pac-12 did fairly well. They got some big out of conference wins. And part of that is uh, we, we saw the effects in the AP top 25. You're a part of that. How did you see the top 25 go? And then how did Utah fare? Yeah, so Utah checks in, or not unofficially, officially, sorry, at number 14. They actually dropped one spot in the AP poll, which was a little surprising to me. Um, You know, Utah was at number 13. They won 73 to 7. This wasn't like Utah barely got past an FCS team, Um, but then they moved down. And, And quite honestly, you know, I think... Some of that was in relation to Florida losing. They lost by 10 to Kentucky. Uh, didn't really help Utah's chances to be able to move up, even though it's still kind of odd. Miami jumped Utah uh, at number 13, which was a little bizarre to me. Miami, I don't think, did anything that necessarily proved that they were better than Utah. Um, but the reality is 13, 14, 15, doesn't really matter. If you can be in that top 15, you know, by the time conference play starts, Utah's going to be fine. Um, for For me... You know, I have I have Utah relatively high. I have them at number ten. Uh, part of that comes down to where I had them the week before after they they lost to Florida. At num- I had them at number eleven. I had Florida up there. Um, I actually didn't have Florida above Utah, so that was a change. Now they're below Utah in the official. So it, it, it's it's a little different. Um, you know, it, it it's interesting as a voter to kind of take part in this because there's a lot of things that the day after you submit that poll, uh, you kind of have some buyer's remorse, so to speak. Uh, you look at your poll and you say, okay, how did I screw this up? Um, and it's not that, that, you know, I'm sitting here trying to vote to the consensus or anything like that. Um, but, you know, there, there's a lot of things that you're trying to take into account, who played whom and all those different things. And for, you know, there's definitely things that I screwed up on, right? Like I, I didn't rank Kentucky as high as I probably should have. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I've got some teams not dropping as much as they have. And, and that's the, the case of it. So, I, I, you know, I'm not alone in this. There's a lot of voters out there. A lot of voters do different things and how they, they vote it. So, you know, looking at this from a Utah standpoint, um, I, I don't think Utah's in a bad spot. Yeah, they drop one spot. It's, you know, a lot of fans I saw on Twitter were a little jaded by that, not happy about it. Um, but, you know, I think it's a good spot. I don't know. Rob, what do you, what do you well, think is there? So if you, you hit the nail on the head. Like Utah's in a good spot. And you, we have to remember it's week two. Uh, uh, like there, there's a reason why the playoff committee doesn't do their selections until like week six. It's like you need to have some sort of body of work. And a lot of this AP poll, at least from these early on um, weeks, is the where the team left off last season, right? So you kind of, you're kind of getting um, – graded a little bit on how well you did last year even though it should be just a complete body of work this year and then each week it kind of takes into account that bias right so week one week two so you're telling me that uh, a miami team who played bethane cook cookman in week one and won hey, 70 to 13 do not disrespect them 
Hey, you know, you know, the, the, the Wildcats. Hey, Weber State, you know, we can talk about them a little bit. But uh, Great, great, great. Representing the Wildcats. But then then they played another, they played an FBS team in Southern Miss. They've got uh, Frank Gorson on their team, uh, who's a, you know, pretty good player, you know, pretty good pedigree there. Um, but, but they won 30 to seven at home. So we'll find out a lot more about Miami this week um, when they have to go on the road to play Texas A&M, who lost this week at home to... Uh, Appalachian State. The, the, the what, what I'm trying to say is that there's so much football to be played that Utah has nothing to worry about. But if you look at it on the the, the positive side, Utah is the highest non-loss or one-loss team in the poll. So there, Utah is still getting respect. Yeah, it may be um, minimized a little bit by that Florida loss to Kentucky, but Utah is still in a very, very good position. They're ranked higher than a undefeated Tennessee and undefeated NC state. And then they're obviously ranked higher than the one loss Baylor and Florida teams. So Utah is in a very good position going forward. They just need to take care of business. And it all starts this week against San Diego state who uh, is one and one on the season. They lost to Arizona in their home, home, home opener. Um, in a, a really surprise game for Arizona's passing attack. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how Arizona does. They lost this last weekend at home to Mississippi State. Uh, but uh, for San Diego State, they got a, a bounce back win, but it wasn't very, <laughs> what's the word? It wasn't very convincing. It was like a 38 to 14 win over Idaho State, who is an FCS team. So We'll see how Utah does at home in a revenge game, but uh, I think they're in a great position. the The big pull movers for me, in my opinion, was how is Texas A and M still ranked? First off, and like they haven't done anything to prove it, other than they finished well last season, I guess. You know that kind that of. preseason bias coming in. Uh, Oregon jumps back into the polls, which I don't understand. Know, which you know they they lost to Georgia forty nine to three, and then they win seventy to seven against Eastern Washington. So it's like. I think there's more deserving teams at that point, right? Like give Oregon at least one more week to say, Hey, let's try it. This is where I think, you know, Texas coming in at 21. I actually get this because Texas was expected to get trounced. I mean, it was like an underdog. Wasn't it 21 and a half? It it could have jumped up that high. Yeah. It was like a three touchdown, you know, we'll just round it three. It was a three touchdown underdog. And you could make the argument if their quarterback doesn't get hurt, they win that game. Uh, not only do they win it, they probably win it pretty convincingly. He goes down. Obviously, they lost all faith in the passing game, uh, tried to run the football every single play. And, you know, we know that Bryce Young can uh, still pull off, you know, uh, an incredible end of game performances. There's a reason why he won the Heisman Trophy. So credit to Alabama for getting the win. But you have to give credit to Florida or for Texas, excuse me, for being as competitive as they were. And I think that that's why we see them in the poll. Uh, even though they lost. So a, a good win for Alabama. Uh, they check in at number two, deliver, deservedly so. Uh, Ohio State at three, Michigan at four. I think Michigan is a, is a surprise team. They've, uh, they they've only played they two don't play Mountain anybody. West teams, and they have absolutely um, trashed both of them. Uh, two terrible Mountain West teams. So, yeah, well, it was, Hawaii it was may crazy. honestly be one of the worst teams in all of college football right now. Well, well maybe. I, yeah, I think I think you're right. And then they took it to, to Colorado State, which it's it, Colorado State lost at home to Middle Tennessee State. So Colorado <laughs> State may not be very good either. So Michigan be maybe one of those teams that is being overrated at the point. But I actually really like what they've done. And uh, I think Jim Harbaugh is a really good coach. So Clemson's my team that's a little bit overrated. They haven't really done anything. They're getting the name recognition uh, from last season. They, they beat up on... Uh, a Georgia Tech team that's not very good, and they beat a FCS team, but they didn't even do it in a very convincing fashion. So them at five, I think, is one of those uh, that I think are too too highly ranked. But what about USC? What is your take on USC uh, coming in at number seven, representing yeah, the Pac-12? USC is one of those teams right now that's being in a very fortunate spot. Not a lot of people are able to watch their game simply because of what channel they've been on. Uh, they do play. They did play U.S. Uh, Stanford this last week, and, and, and you know it's a quality win. They 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 scored at will. Um, you know they they did what they were supposed to do, and so I think from that standpoint, based on who U- USC has on offense, they're going to be a solid team, right? Like their defense is is improved ish, um, but I think there's real concerns on the defensive side of the ball for them, right? Like I think if they have to 
uh, go up against a much more difficult team than somebody like Stanford, I think they're really going to struggle. Now, now, how much they struggle, obviously that, that'll be interesting to see. But for the most part, USC doesn't really have a huge test until maybe Utah. Um, and, right. and so like that, that's the interesting thing there. I, you know, the, the hard part with, with the polls this early in the season is you have a lot of overreactions, right? You saw it with the way that Florida jumped into the poll when they beat Utah. You know, you win by three points, you beat Utah, which was the number seven team in the country. And that's a great win, right? Like you look at that and that's great. Um, a lot of people were sleeping on them a little bit based on Anthony Richardson. Um, Utah gets a lot of respect in that respect in that regard. And, and you, you know, they jump up all the way to number 12. And so Florida gets some love, but then the same thing happens with Florida where Kentucky goes in and beats them and Kentucky was ranked. So it's not like this wasn't a, you know, an unranked team, but then Kentucky is one of the highest movers and moves 11 spots in the poll and suddenly are one of the best teams in college football. Now, I'm not saying that Kentucky isn't, right? I, I actually think Kentucky is really uh, a solid team. I, I think there's still a lot to prove. Um, Anthony Richardson did not look like anything himself in that game. Um, obviously, they, they schemed better towards him than what Utah did. They had film on him. They, they did a better job of containing him and forcing him to be a true quarterback. And, and quite honestly, he hasn't developed that yet. So uh, I, I think you're getting a lot of these overreactions where okay, you know, Florida jumps all the way up because they just beat a top 10 team. And then Kentucky gets all the way up because they just beat Florida, who beat the top 10 team. And, and so, like, you're, you're seeing a lot of overreactions that way where teams are just going to be constantly moving. Notre Dame was really high. They were in the top 10. They lose to Marshall. They suddenly drop out. Now they should. I, I dropped them out of my poll. I think, you know, if you're 0-2 and you lose to Marshall, the reality is, like, you don't deserve to be there. You can say that about Texas A&M. You can say that about a bunch of teams. But I, I wouldn't get too caught up in a lot of these things, right? Like, there's, there's going right. to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of things. It's hard to evaluate a team who, you know, Pitt is playing a, a tough team, a, a ranked team in Tennessee. But how does another team playing an FCS team like Utah compare? Like, it, it, it's hard right. to compare those things. And I think once we get into about week four, week five, We'll slowly start to see this thing settle out. Um, teams will start to have at least one tough game on there. Michigan maybe still is just barely getting into their their games at that point. Um, but I but I think that's that's the area where you're okay, right? Like I, as long as Utah continues to do you know their job and they continue to win uh, win really, it doesn't necessarily matter how big. As long as Utah continues to win, they're going to be fine, right? You're the number 14 right. team in the country in week two. That's not, not something to worry about. You know, you've got San Diego State up next. You've got Arizona State coming up after that. You're slowly building on that, and and there's things that you can do to improve. But uh, you know, rankings are the last thing of your worries. So I don't know. I think it's a bit bit uh, nothing at this point. So part of the uh, the game film from Florida was missed tackles, and we can go into um, our Southern Utah recap um, here. Um, Part of the, the the Florida recap was missed tackles. Kyle Whittingham mentioned that Utah missed upwards of like 27 uh, tackles. We didn't see Utah hardly miss any tackles on Saturday against, sure, yeah, it's Southern Utah, but it, it's the fundamentals, right? Utah was in position. You didn't see any player trying to play hero ball or, you know, trying to go uh, above and beyond his assignment. Everybody played assignment sound. And outside of one play where, I don't know if they caught him off guard with a, a change of quarterback where they did a draw up the middle. Um, Utah was very, very assignment sound, limiting Southern Utah to what was it? Uh, 85 um, yards. 42 yards passing and 85 total yards. Yep. I mean, I would take that any day of the week, even if it's against a uh, – an FCS foe. What was your rate on the defense? We'll start there. Yeah, for me, like it, it, it's one of those things where you know Utah is just so much better than than a Southern Utah team who's in its first season in the WAC. Um, so it's it's hard to fully get a, an idea of how you know Utah shakes out based on their performance against Florida. Right now, with that being said, you know there's a lot of things where a team improves over one week, right? From one week to two weeks. Uh, and I think this is, this is one of those cases where I think Utah now has a bunch of tape on themselves where they've played a quality opponent. Maybe they were a little too jazzed going into that game, right? They, they over-pursued because they knew that they had to kind of follow Anthony Richardson. They knew he was going to be a dynamic quarterback. And so maybe that put them out of place. I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll see how that defense ultimately shakes out as the season progresses. But I think in, in a game against Southern Utah, I, I, I agree with you in the sense that I think that there was a lot more assignment sound play 
where they came in, they did their job. There wasn't a lot of over pursuit. Um, there wasn't a lot of, of trying to, you know, freelance or do different things that way. I, I, I think they just put together a solid plan. They collapsed the prop pocket, made Justin Miller really have a difficult day. I mean, honestly, like he couldn't get anything off. And if he did, it was for like three, four yards. Uh, you know, th- there wasn't anything about this game that that made you think that the defense didn't make progress, and I think that's good, right? I think we've seen these FCS games in the past where you come into it, you look at, you know, the Weaver State game last year. Utah started out very slow. It looked like one of those games that that this could be a little bit more difficult than it was supposed to, and, and Utah ultimately came out and, and destroyed them, and, and that's what they were supposed to do. But I think a lot of people get a little... Uh, disenfranchised somewhat times when you don't beat an FCS team by a larger margin. And I think Utah did that, right? They come in there and they dominated, right? Like 85 yards of total offense. It doesn't matter what team you are. That is difficult to do to be able to limit a team that, that much. Right. And so I think it's not time to just suddenly celebrate the defense and think that everything's good. But at the same time, it was in my eyes, much improved from where we're at. Now, I think this week will be a bigger test against San Diego state, but I think you're starting to see guys understand it. They're kind of playing within themselves now and not getting a little too overzealous. So I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on the defense? Well, one of the, uh, the highlights for me was watching RJ Hubert take the the pick six back. And that's a, a, a emphasis of, sorry, it's a point of pride for Utah's defense. So for those that don't know, Utah has had 19 straight seasons now with a pick six, which that that's very impressive. So you can consider Utah's long line of uh, cornerbacks, uh, very, very good cornerbacks that have played for Utah Uh, last season. um, Utah got a pick six. It was Clark Phillips against Washington state. Uh, the same thing the season before was against Washington State. Uh, I believe it was Clark Phillips again, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So two years in a row, Clark Phillips had it this year. It's R.J. Hubert to extend the streak. Uh, and you look at it, Kyrene Reed missed an easy one. Um, uh, Travis, uh, I forget his name. Um, uh, Travis Broughton almost had another one, but he ended up getting called for uh, a holding penalty anyway. So it wouldn't have mattered, but uh, Utah had a couple chances that potentially two more pick sixes, just the way on their front seven was playing, putting pressure on the quarterback. Um, he did not have very much time to throw the ball or make decisions. And so you would expect that in a, uh, in a game where you're playing against division one athletes versus FCS, uh, there is going to be that talent discrepancy Utah was able to uh, score in their opening possession and really outside of one blown play where a quarterback draw went for 29 yards on a touchdown. And I believe it happened right after a Tavion Thomas fumble yep. changed the possession. Utah kind of got it caught off guard um, and credit to Southern Utah for making the play. But other than that, Southern Utah had nothing. Do you take away that 29 yards? That's only what 40 yards the rest of the game that they had. So that's very, very impressive uh, for Utah's defense. And I think that they, they took it personal last week that they got caught out of position. They made Anthony Richardson look like a Heisman contender and uh, they played assignment football. And that's what you would expect to see from the university of Utah football team. Now, offensively, we saw some good things. We saw some bad things. What's your rate on the offense and where do you see them uh, grading out uh, at least as far as on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, offensively, you know, I think once they settled in, I think they were perfectly fine, right? Like the first little bit, uh, you could kind of feel a collective frustration in the fan base in that first, you know, 10 or so minutes of the game where Utah's offense just kind of looks slow, sluggish, uh, uninspiring, vanilla. I mean, how many adjectives do you want there? Um, but once they kind of figured it out, it was, you know, it, there was no stopping them. You knew that they were going to score at will. The fact that they were able to score in 28 seconds near the end of the second quarter just shows what this offense can do, right? Like if they're really playing at tempo, I honestly, I think this team works better in tempo. I think if you're trying to, you know, grind it out and do different things that way, Utah tries to, uh, out coach itself sometimes outplay itself. Uh, you put Utah in a two-minute drill, and I, you know, this is one of the times where I think you you don't doubt Cam Rising in in that ability. Now, with that being said, I think there's a lot of frustration still on you know the wide receivers, and not on the wide receivers specifically, but just the fact that Utah isn't involving them as much. You're getting Dalton Kincaid, you're getting Brant Keithy, uh, you're obviously getting your running backs, and there's a great stable of them, and we can talk about them more if you'd like. But I think that's kind of the frustration where 
uh, you know, Utah fans are really struggling to see where this team goes. Kyle, at the, you know, the beginning of fall camp talks about if, if the wide receivers can really get open and if they, we can, you know, make more of an open or vertical threat and do those different things, Utah's really going to unlock its potential. But then you watch games, especially against Southern Utah, where they're not necessarily looking for those downfield threats. You know, Jalen Dixon, who's got speed, should be able to get a 45, 50-yard catch and then take it to the, to the house, right? Like, that's the game where you do that. And you didn't see that. And, and, and quite honestly, I, I'm guessing that, you know, Utah's not opening up their playbook a ton for SUU because why? But at the same time, I think fans want to see that. They want to see some some optimism that that uh, you know this this offense is progressing, that the wide receivers are becoming more involved in it. Devon Vele, everybody talks about Devon Vele, Money Park, Solomon Enos, all these guys, and yet you don't see them. You just see the tight ends, you see the running backs. So I think that's the frustration, and I think that's where people are kind of nitpicking right now. And it's easy to nitpick. You know, there's two games, you're one and one. Where else are you going to go, especially after an SUU win? But I think, to me, that's kind of where it's at. I, I, you know, but I don't know. Am I, am I wrong in that assumption, Rob? Do you see something different, or is there some other concern? No. I, so with the with, as far as the rushing game goes, I think that the the one lone uh, mistake was Tavian Thomas putting the ball on the turf. Are you concerned that's about that, issue. though? It's, well, it's an issue that he had last season. He got benched. He got put back as the starter because – he quite frankly was the best running back. So I'm not super concerned with it, but I think that that may be why we are still seeing or listed on the depth chart for all four running backs. I think that the coaches have seen enough out of Chris Curry, Jalen Glover, Makai Bernard that they like, but I think that they still believe in Tavion Thomas. They just want to give him that extra motivation to, to go through the pass protection, to make sure he's not putting the ball on the ground, those things that he needs to clean up. And then I think that he would be Utah's feature back. And he was in this game, he got 11 carries. Uh, the next highest was Jalen Glover with nine. So I think that he is still the guy, but I think uh, ball security has to be uh, at the top of his mind. He needs to clean it up. And I think that he knows that. So sometimes, you know, you, you focus on something too much, and then it causes it to happen even more. You know, it's kind of like that reverse psychology. So it's a it's a fine balance that you have to to battle there. But uh, that is something that I am concerned of. You know, obviously you got away with it in in, in this game. Uh, Utah didn't have any turnovers against uh, Florida, at least you know not physical turnovers. They had the turnover on downs at the goal line, which a little frustrating. But uh, um, so if you're if you're going to be concerned about the offense and you're trying to find something. It would be that Utah's not involving the wide receivers. We saw one deep shot down the field. It was to Keithy, and it was overthrown by just a hair. Uh, I'm sure it's a throw that Cam he Rising would like to have back. He was yeah, he had nobody on him. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing. It's like why not at least give your your guy a shot? And, you know, and we haven't really seen those chances down the field. And you see other teams take it. You see uh, other teams. Um, kind of create that separation. And, and it goes to, it, it's important to not only take the top of off, off top off the defense, because you don't want guys putting, you don't want defenses putting nine guys in the box and stopping the run. You don't want to be grinding out three yards in a cloud of dust every drive. There's a reason why Iowa only scored seven points because <laughs> they can't take, they don't have that deep threat on offense, right? They have no offense. So they, well, they don't have an offense period, <laughs> but uh, punt, their offense is punting. Yeah, and safeties. <laughs> hey, um, look, if you can get two safeties in a game, like you, two you have to win, and a right? Field goal. Like, it's, it's seven points. To no make it look difference. like a touchdown. Look, we're going to be creative in this, right? I, I I just feel like Utah needs those trunk plays. They they had them on the ground, but you're not going to have those same type of running lanes uh, in Pac-12 conference play. Yet, yeah, sure, they opened up against Southern Utah. But once you start playing, you know, uh, conference opponents, and even against San Diego State, who has a, a better defense, you're not going to see those wide open running lanes for Jalen Glover to run for 20, 21 yards. It's going to be back to three, four, five yards on the ground. And can you muster those drives without a single penalty all the way down the field in those 10, 12, 14 play drives? Yeah, they can, but they're not going to be able to do it consistently. Consistently, And I think that that's the number one reason why Kyle Whittingham wants to take more chunk plays in the air is because he knows that they need to be able to move the football more um you take those chances to move the football down the field more uh, quickly and without that risk of yeah, like, yeah, Utah has proven that they can move the ball on the ground, but what, what happens when 
defenses start to adjust and put those nine guys in the box. What happens when, you know, that wide receiver who's been blocking every single play suddenly has a throw targeted towards him? You know, how's he going to react? Are we going to see him, you know, go for the catch? If it's not a perfect ball, you know, right on the numbers, is he going to make a diving attempt to go for that? Is he going to, you know, do those intangibles, go through the route running every single play if he's not getting targeted? Those are the type of things that from a morale perspective, you have to be concerned about. Um, You know, maybe I wouldn't be as concerned about it if Utah didn't make such a fuss about it all through fall camps. Like, hey, we need to make more big plays in the wide receivers. And we're two games in, we haven't seen it. So what, what, I mean, what, what can these receivers do, Josh? Like, is this on cam rising? Is this on the play calling or is this on the receivers or a combination of all three? Yeah. And I think we can, you know, maybe ask Solomon that when, when he's able to join with us a little bit, but I think there it's a combination, right? I think there there's scenarios where the wide receivers aren't expecting to get the ball. And so they're not necessarily creating that space that they need to, to get open. I also think that there's, um, We'll call it a confidence factor in the tight ends in the sense that Cam knows that he can throw it to the tight ends and he can get them there. They're a mismatch, and so a lot of people are going to struggle with that, right? And so do you take the easy play and and get it open to one of your two dynamic tight ends, or do you try to force a play maybe another 10, 15, 20 yards down the field and maybe get an incompletion? I don't know. So I think think there's a combination, right? Like I don't think that it's easy to pin this just on Cam rising. I don't think this is just easy to pin this on the wide receivers. I think or or you could pin it on the play calling, right? I think all of these things factor into it. Quite honestly, I don't think we've seen really much of what Utah's trying to run this season. Um, they've got a diverse playbook that, you know, we'll see them in, in probably more difficult games. But at the same time, you know, I think it, it's a combination, right? The coaching staff, they're all kind of unified in the sense that says, in saying that, the wide receivers need to get open, right? We asked Kyle today, once again, you know, what do the wide receivers have to do to be able to get these passes? And his answer is always get open. So like, I, I don't sit there and think that Kyle is necessarily just BSing us the whole time. Like, I really believe that there's a scenario where he believes that that's the case, right? But on the same vein, like you watch some of that game film and you watch some of those scenarios where, you know, a Solomon Enos is open or a Devon Vele is open and, and they're not targeted for whatever, you know, route they're, they're running or whatever it is. And, and so I think there's a combination there, right? I, you know, Cam's an experienced quarterback. This isn't like this is his first year starting. You know, he, he, he understands it. But I think in anything, in, in any sport, anybody that's comp- played at a competitive level understands you're going to go back to the thing that you're most comfortable with, right? In that Florida mm-hmm. game, Utah was really struggling. They looked rushed. Cam Rising was getting rushed. Defense was coming at him a little bit faster than he thought he would. Um, and maybe that's just the beginning of the season where you're not used to that speed again. But he went to his comfortable playmakers, right? He went to the ones where he knew he could toss it up. It was the same when Britton Covey was on the team. You knew you could toss it to Britton Covey and he could make a play, right? Britton usually ran for an extra 15 yards and gave you something extra. But I think that's kind of how the game plays, right? When the game speeds up and everything goes on around you, you need something to feel comfortable. And that's not to say that these wide receivers can't be your comfortable uh, asset, but I don't think they've been utilized in that same way. And so it's real easy to just kind of say, okay, I'm going to the tight end, right? Cam Rising is a talented quarterback, and I think he can go really far. But at the same time, until that confidence is there, until he can see that Devon Vele or Solomon Enos or Money Parks or whomever is out there, is going to consistently grab those balls and demand that, I think that's where we're going to be. So it, it, it's easy to sit here and pinpoint it on one person, but I think it's, it's, it's ultimately the entire team and kind of that chemistry that comes together. And, and I think to add on to it, I think that it's a coaching philosophy. I think Kyle Whittingham puts an emphasis on ball protection. Um, he doesn't want to give uh, the other team an opportunity or a short field off a turnover. And well, so most Cam's, of the throws, I mean, think about what most of the throws that he's throwing to are – yeah, he, exactly. I mean, he, he threw an interception at the worst possible time. In his eyes, like, that's where it's going to be, right? Like, are, are you going mm-hmm. to now force it because of those moments? Now, against SUU, it didn't matter, right? But moving right. forward in those big games, are you going to think twice? And sure, that was to a tight end, so you can argue that was, uh, you know, the wrong play. But I think those types of things, like you said, under Kyle's strategy, that's kind of leads to that. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no, I, and I think that's a fair point, is like, uh, eventually you have to take some chances down the field. Um, there's going to be a game where you're going to have to put the ball in the air and you don't want your players to be learning on the spot. Like I, I was hoping uh, that Utah would take some chances more so in the Southern Utah game, not to, not to put up points. I mean, 
um, it more so to hone in on the skill. You, we saw the the one deep shot to Keithy one or two yards overthrown. If he gets multiple chances, you know, maybe he connects on one or two of those and gets some confidence. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like the throws that Cam made were to open receivers and, and those happen to be the tight ends and the running backs until these receivers can create the, that separation. We saw on uh, a, a simple slant play where Devon Vele was one-on-one with the corner is near the goal line and Cam rising through it at his knees. Um, partly because he wasn't open, but that was the route. There wasn't anything there. He threw it away. Um, it, it's on you as a receiver a little bit. You got to create some separation. We see it in, in all levels of football. If you're not open nine times out of 10, there's the <laughs> quarterback's not going to throw it to you. So I think that these receivers need to be more physical uh, uh, and creating that separation, run the crisper routes. And I think that that will kind of take care of itself with the chemistry with Cam Rising. Because I think he is going through his progressions. He's not staring down. Yeah, he did stare down the uh, the Florida receiver uh, or the uh, he stared down Dalton Kincaid in the Florida game at the end. We get that. Uh, but uh, if you look at most of his throws, he is going through his progression and he is finding he is he's taking the least risk throw whether it's the the out to the running back or over the middle to an open tight end he isn't throwing it into coverage uh we saw that with uh when bryson barnes came in he had one throw to a tight end who ended up getting um targeted i I guess that's a verb now uh but he ended up uh, uh getting a flag on the play because he got a helmet to helmet hit anyway he threw it into triple coverage that's a throw that we rarely have seen Cam make because I think that he does value that ball security. And that's probably why um, he has such a trust in that tight, that tight end group in going after those. So we'll see. I, I, I hope that Utah is able to um, take some more shots down the field, especially this week against San Diego state. This was kind of Cam rising's coming out party last season. He had, uh, you know, three really, be- really, really good touchdowns. Uh, in a rally to uh, bring Utah back in that game. They took it to overtime, tripled overtime, and Utah ended up losing due to a technicality. You could say the ruling on the field should have stood, but uh, they called it an incomplete pass after review. And Yeah, it was the right call, but uh, an, an unfortunate way to, to end that game. So I expect, and, and this goes to more of the season outlook, if you're not going to take chances down the field against San Diego State, when are you? Um, you know, we're in week three, like, and, and it's going to get tougher each week, you know, once you get into conference play. So you, you would fully expect to see Utah uh, take those chances and give these wide receivers some some opportunities to make a play. Well, um, well, and I'd I say- mean, Devon Vele, your number one receiver, had two targets, I guess three, three targets, two catches. Is that enough? Probably not. But, but I think, like, I think it's, it, you know, be patient, Utah fans. I think a lot of people are forgetting how dynamic Utah's offense was last year. They, they moved the ball at will, and that wasn't all running, right? Like, it, it wasn't an no. even 50-50 run versus pass type thing. But, they, you know, Cam gets them involved, right? Now, a lot of that obviously came to Dalton and, and to Brandt. But it, it, there, there's a lot of ability on that field, and it's just a matter of being able to get it done, right? Like, I'm not here to, like you know, stand for, uh, you know, Cam Rising or whatever, you know, he's obviously got to make his his progressions and he's got to be able to do his his job at, at quarterback. And that includes targeting the wide receivers. But at the same time, this is an ongoing theme through Utah football, right? This isn't like right. a, a one-time thing where it's just on Cam Rising. It was Tyler Huntley. It was Travis Wilson. It was like any other quarterback that you want to name, this is a consistent theme. Like Utah knows its system. And as long as Kyle Whittingham is the head coach at Utah, they're going to do whatever they can to limit risk. Like you said, they're going to do that. And that's just it, right? Like that's not to say that, that, that Kyle hasn't become much more risk taking or that, that I didn't say that right, but he's taken more risk over the last few years because he has a quarterback that he trusts, but at the same time, he's still going to limit it to some extent. Right. And, and part of that job is, is, you know, helping Cam understand, okay, these are the right risks to take, right? There's going to be a time that Devon Vailey demands the ball, but he's got a DB that's completely on top of him, but he can still throw that pass, and they're okay with that. That's where those progressions need to come. That's where Cam has to develop as a quarterback. That's where the wide receivers have to demand the ball, right? This, this is a give and take, right? And I don't think we've seen everything. This isn't going to be some, uh, you know, terrible moment of the season where if, if Utah continues to not pass against San Diego State, everything's over. Now, 
I, I, I will add the caveat that if they don't add the wide receivers a little bit more to the game plan, then yeah, you know, you do have to kind of get a little bit worried. I, but I, I do think there really comes down to that confidence. In, in last season, you know, once, once Cam Rising ran that flea flicker to Devon Vele, everything opened up for that offense. Everything changed, right? They, they felt right. different. They, they, they knew that they could do different things. And I think that's where Utah's at. You, you know, they, they need to be able to get something that's a play, you know, changes the game that, that gives them this motivation to say, you know what, we can do this, right? They did it last year, but, you know, it's cyclical, right? You've got to be able to continually do it. So, you know, don't, I don't know. I, I, I understand the frustrations and, and quite honestly, like, I think it's real. And I think it's something that, you know, I'm going to be monitoring as a beat writer, but at the same time, you know, Utah's going to be fine, right? Like, if, if it's one of those scenarios where Utah's four running backs are the best options on the team, they're going to go with that. That's just the way it is. Right. And, and when, you know, teams decide to scheme towards that and, and bring in their defense and kind of stack the box, Utah's great opportunities, whether that be through tight ends or whether that be through wide receivers. And, in, and it's just a matter of uh, guys getting open and demanding that ball, right? If Dewan Vele wants to be an, a, a part of the game, he has to demand the ball. Darren Carrington, when he came to Utah, everybody was so excited about Darren Carrington. Was it because he was like a named receiver from Oregon that all of a sudden he demanded the ball? No, he demanded the ball because he was good, right? That's not and, to say that Devon And he got open. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, all of these wide receivers on this team are phenomenal. Money Parks, you give him the ball and he's gone. There's probably no faster wide receiver outside of maybe a Jalen Dixon or, uh, you know, one of those guys that you give him the ball and, and once he's in space, he's gone. But at the same time, you've got to to be there. You've got to be able to get open. You've got to at least give your quarterback confidence in what you're doing. Once again, this is not to blame anybody or point fingers at anybody. I just think this is where Utah's at, right? They need to be able to do that. And if they can't get that, they're going to stick with the tried and true, the thing that brings them confidence, which is running the ball down your throat and then being able to give it to the tight ends. I, 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 that's well said. And I, a little bit of it is taking what the defense gives you. If defenses continue to um, play cover two, um, we're going to see a lot of running. You know, if defenses adjust to try to slow down Utah's running attack, then we're going to see more of those one-on-one opportunities. And and at that point, it's up to the receivers to make the play. Um, they need to create some separation. They need to demand the ball to quote uh, coach Bumpus they need to demand the ball by the way that they're, they're, they're open. You can see that with the tight ends. They demand the ball like Keithy and Kincaid. They demand the ball because every time that they get an opportunity, they're making a play, they're making a guy miss, they're breaking a tackle. They're doing everything that they can. The receivers need to do the same thing. And I think that as that develops, as they get more and more chances, you will see the the receivers become more involved in the game plan. I think, I think a little bit of a, is just due to a frustration in Utah's, lack of passing um, uh, over the, it, it, since the, you know, Utah joined the PAC 12, Utah just hasn't been a prolific passing team. A lot of that could be due to quarterback injuries or uh, whatever it might be. Utah has always been a running first team um, ever, ever since uh, Kyle Whittingham took over in 2005. It's been a run first mentality. doesn't mean that they don't pass it, but I think that, you know, since joining the PAC 12, they're running, has continued to be successful. The passing has kind of been hit or miss. And I, I think that if you were to look at the numbers that Cam had, no one would be like, oh, the, the passing isn't good. I think that it is uh, just more of a frustration as being a fan over the team uh, for the last 12 years. It's kind of being taken out on this current team where I don't think that they're as bad as we think that they are. I think that they are actually very good in the passing attack. It's good to have these weapons. And the more teams adjust to defend Kincaid and Keithy, the more chances these receivers will have. And and, and hopefully that they can t- make the most of the opportunities that they'll get uh, going forward. Well, you're complaining um, about, you, you know, like you're complaining about two dynamic tight ends as as being yeah. the, the bigger playmakers. Like, where are you at that that's the scenario? Like, you're not Oregon, right? You're not going to throw like a whole bunch of uh, deep passes. Like, I, I think this is just kind of a funny, funny reality. And, I, and I, once again, I, I, I truly believe that Utah should open up its vertical game more and, and, and get those wide receivers uh, involved. But to me, it's just kind of funny. Like, forever there was a lot of complaints that Utah just ran it down somebody's throat. You know, teams could load that box and if if utah had a dynamic running back they would be okay but 
for the most part, it was just like you knew what you were going to get. John White was still successful, and there was literally nothing else that Utah did. They maybe had a pass right. here and there, but it was like you we're going to run it, we're going to run it, we're going to run it. And they still were successful. The funny thing here is now you have two dynamic tight ends who can completely change the dynamic of your team. And sure, if that means your wide receivers are blocking more to try to create some separation and be a decoy, so be it. But it like I get it. Like I, I understand it. Like I you know, I like watching these players and I like being able to talk to them. I think all of the wide receivers are are great and and talented. But I think it is funny that this is kind of where the frustration of a team that is it has a really explosive offense is at. So I don't know. It's it, it's funny, but that's kind of where we're at right now. So and we'll see. We'll we'll see against San Diego State how Utah's able to do. There were some other cool games in the top twenty five. Uh, Notre Dame obviously losing to Marshall. Uh, they lose their quarterback for the rest of the season due to a high ankle sprain. That uh, affects the outlook for the Irish. Um, and to go along with that, no Notre Dame coach has lost three their first three games before. So he took over uh, the bowl game. They lost the bowl game. They've lost their first two games of the season. What's your status report on the Irish and can they recover from this? Because it I mean, losing your quarterback is one thing, but losing your first two games, one of them being to uh, an inferior Sunbelt team has to be rolling uh, rolling some eyebrows. Well, that, that's the thing. Notre Dame absolutely got played, right? Like, it's not like they just made a few bad mistakes and, and you know, they were beat. Like, this is one of those things where the other team was just that much better, right? And I think it was a lot of an uninspiring play. They didn't think that Marshall was going to come in there and really do much. It's one of those games that you walk through or those games that that uh, are, are scary because teams just aren't motivated for, right? Like, I, I truly believe that, you know, Marcus Freeman, he's 36 years old. He's He's got a, a bright future ahead of himself, right? Like, I don't think two games is necessarily going to define his career. Now it could, right? Like, college football, it, it, it changes fast and... You know, at an institution like Notre Dame, you can't lose. And so I, I think that's an interesting dynamic and, and being able to see how he's able to do it. I think he's one of those guys that can recruit really well. He brings in a lot of talent, and so I think he, he gives that. But I almost wonder if Notre Dame was kind of a little too quick to hire him. I, I'm not saying he's not the right guy. I actually really like him, and I think he, he, he will be a good fit for Notre Dame pending, you know, how they're able to turn this season around. But maybe they got a little too overzealous and they were like, we've got to hurry and find somebody to coach this team, somebody that, you know, it, it was good with the players, uh, and they didn't really do their due diligence. So uh, it, it's hard to say, but I think, you know, Notre Dame's going to probably be fine. I think their biggest issue is they've got to find a quarterback. And if they can't get a quarterback, I don't think you're going to see a lot of difference, right? Like, I think Notre Dame is in a scenario where, um, you know, they're, they're going to be good defensively. They're going to be able to have success, but they don't have necessarily a dynamic playmaker back there. They do in a four-star quarterback. I think he's their third-string guy, but, like, he just came to the team. So it's it's one of those things where I'm curious to see how they, they manage more locally because they play BYU later this year in Las Vegas. That game, you know, we were penciling it early on to be this really tough matchup for BYU as this, you know, playmaking, high-powered, uh, stylistic game that, that allows BYU to kind of determine where they are in the season. And this very, mel- very well may be a game where BYU is just that much better, right? We'll see. I mean, it's interesting to see how Notre Dame is able to turn their season around. But right now, the, the options aren't looking good for the Fighting Irish. Another Sun Belt team to take down another power program was Appalachian State going to College Station, taking down Texas A&M. Yeah, Johnny Manziel tweeting after the game, like, hey, I still have two years of eligibility left. <laughs> like, uh, is there... A, he just wants the cash, there, let's be real. Well, that yeah. NIL money. Imagine, imagine him with that NIL money. Um, I don't think there'd be I, a guy there, that had more. You consider that Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class in the country to come out and lay an egg at home to a Sunbelt program has to be pretty, concert, pretty discouraging for... Um, Jimbo Fisher and the rest of that staff. What, where do you see Texas A&M? They have a tough game this week. Was it a case of them just looking ahead to the Miami game or what's going down in college station? Eh, Maybe it's them looking ahead to Miami, but I just don't think that Jimbo Fisher has this program in good, uh, in a good situation. I think Appalachian state is a great team. I actually really like them a lot. They're, they're consistently, you know, being a threat to other teams. Um, but they're, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where, you know, the week before they're in this locked 
um, fight with uh, North Carolina where both teams scored in the 60s. And yet Texas A&M, with all their five-star guys and all the money that they spend on NIL and all this other stuff, you know, the number one recruiting class, you can't even score more than 14 points. Like, to me, that is more concerning. Whether it's an uninspired performance because you just didn't want to be there or not, I, I just don't see Texas A&M really – having the mojo to move forward. Their first game of the season started out really slow and then it got rain delayed and then they decided to blow them out. But at the same time, like I don't think Texas A&M, uh, I should say I, Texas A&M is exactly one of those types of teams that money doesn't necessarily buy success, right? You can try to replicate what Alabama and Georgia and Clemson do and you can try to throw cash at it and you can try to say, we're going to get all these five-star guys and we're going to do all this, this stuff to be able to make ourselves competitive. But the reality is, is you have to have a great culture and you've got to be able to consistently bring out a, an effective product or you're going to lose. And Appalachian State is an exact example of that where they will continue to take advantage of you and they will do whatever they can to make you pay. And Texas A&M is paying right now. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things but that I don't They pay li- literally, too, because they have <laughs> yeah. to pay like $1.9 million for the uh, Isn't for that the, the worst insult, State though? Complaint? Like you have to pay Ooh. and you just got beat. I don't know. I, I think so. Well, to, to, to roll on with the Sun Belt, we don't need to talk about this game too much, but uh, Georgia Southern, Clay Helton's Georgia Southern team pulls off the stunner in Lincoln um, on a, a last-minute touchdown, quarterback keeper up the middle. Scott Frost ends up getting fired for Nebraska. Is How does this uh, – I mean, Nebraska, I think, deep down, was trying to wait until October, was it, 15th, mm-hmm. because the uh, – the payout for his contract was like cut in half on that date. This just got too out of control and Nebraska had to do something, right? Well, I mean, the fact that if you waited till, you know, October, I think October 1st, October 15th, whatever it was to, you know, not have to pay him seven and a half million. But the fact that you said, okay, after three weeks, you got to remember they were the week zero um, that you fire a head coach. Like to, to me, you know, this is a disrespect to the players that are in the, even in the program, right? Like, you knew that Scott Frost was already on, on you know, thin ice. They, they didn't really have a lot of faith in him. You know, there was, there was a weird desire to bring him back in the sense that, like, look, we'll give you one more season. But the reality is he was doomed before he even stepped foot in, in Ireland to be able to play that week zero game. And so the fact that he lost, like, how was he supposed to do anything outside of that? Now, I, I don't think that he did a great job at Nebraska and he absolutely deserved to be fired. But to me, like I, I would be more upset for the player's sake in the sense that like you knew that this was going to be the outcome. There was no scenario outside of Nebraska just absolutely doing a 180 that this was going to change. And so for me, it's like, why did you even bring Scott Frost back? Why didn't you have a coaching search at the very beginning of, of you know, the offseason and at least try to bring in somebody that can be competitive, give these guys a chance to fight for somebody else, um, and now you're just kind of doing them a disservice. So uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I love that it's the Clay Helton team that, <laughs> that beats them because that was the same scenario he was in, right? Everybody knew that he was a dead man walking at USC. He knew it, right? Like, I mean, this is the reality. The, you kind of understand your place in college football, and if you're not welcome, you're not welcome. And so at that point, you're just kind of biding your time and hoping that you can keep as much money as you can from a university uh, and to his credit, he got an extra seven and a half million guaranteed. So whatever. I, I, I think it's stupid. I think you're setting back a Nebraska program that, you know, hasn't been relevant really for the last 20 or so years. 1990s was probably the last time they were really, you know, the glory days. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see the ebbs and flows of college football and how this has worked. And a lot of these teams that were one time, these great college football teams are now just nothing. It, it, I, I could be misspeaking. I, I'm, I'm a little rusty on my Nebraska. Didn't they fire? Was it Tom Osborne for going nine and three? Isn't that the start of all this? Like <laughs> or is Bo Pelini, nine and was three, it, nine and three should be yeah. deep, should be decent, right? Like that's a decent record. But well, you had Bo Pelini, you were fine, right? Like I'm not Bo saying that's what it is. Yeah. It, it's not that you were like gonna win all these games, but he like consistently got you to nine or ten win seasons, and you just said, right. "Nah, we don't want it." Yeah. Anyway. Um, the, the big game that we were all watching as Utah fans was the Florida-Kentucky game. Here, Florida was rolling in, newly ranked in the top 15. Kentucky was ranked in the top 25 as well. This game was a defensive slugfest for the most part. Um, Utah's offense really showed from the week before, like, hey, like this is actually a really, really good defense just on the way that Florida was able to 
to play, but all of a sudden things started to spiral out of, out of control for the Gators. They give up 13 second half points and Kentucky didn't give up any in the second half. So Kentucky wins 26 to 16. What did you see from Florida? And is this indicative of Utah just missed the boat here or, you know, Kentucky just had some extra game film to prepare for. Uh, I, I, I would say probably both, but more that Utah missed an opportunity there. Right. I think, you know, the, the defense was much more difficult than probably Utah was expecting. But even then, Utah really did what they wanted to. I can't remember the stat, but I think it was 6.2 yards that Utah got. So it's not like it, this was like one of those things where they weren't able to move the ball. I just think the defensive effort really hurt Utah there. And we've obviously talked about this a ton, so we don't need to rehash it. But I think you looked at what Kentucky was able to do. They watched that week one game tape and they said, OK, here's how we stop Anthony Richardson. And that's make him be a quarterback, right? force him to be able to make the throws because when he does it, he's wildly inaccurate. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't get there. He admits that he just wasn't feeling right. And, and so maybe there's outside stuff that's that's going on that, that changed that. But I think Kentucky game planned great, right? Like they, they managed mm-hmm. to find a way to be able to close up the lanes to make him be a little bit more honest and, and be a quarterback. And, and it paid off, right? Like it, it came down to the end, like Kentucky pulled away right there at the end. But for the most part, it was a locked even match. And so it, it, it's interesting to see. I think this is probably the Florida team that most people were expecting them to be probably like one of those six and six type teams where you're going to have a great week and, you know, Anthony Richardson's going to look like a Heisman contender in this star. And then another week, a team's going to go out there and just lock him up and, and he's not going to be as effective. So uh, I definitely think that is a missed opportunity for Utah. Uh, it's one of those scenarios where, you know, I, I think if you look back at that defense, you, you question, you know, how it happened. Um but it's week one, right? You lost by three points. You take it. Uh, you know, if you're a Utah fan, you cheer for Florida the rest of the way and hope that they can at least salvage some of their season. But the reality is, you know, it, it, it's a three-point loss. Utah's going to be fine. Yeah, you take care of your business in, in Pac-12 play. And, you know, if you're somehow near the top and you're trying to go for the college football playoff, no, I don't think Utah's going to be there. But if that's somehow where you're at, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Richardson had... Uh, 11 carries for 106 yards and three touchdowns against Utah, against Florida, six carries for four yards. So uh, very good job by Kentucky to say, hey, yeah, we're just going to stay in our contained lanes and let you beat us. And uh, he couldn't make those throws. It was 14 to 35. So not a very good uh, outing for Anthony Richardson. Maybe it was a lot of uh, the the hype surrounding that and living to learning to deal with success. A lot of players can can be the underdog, right? But once you get the success, once you get the accolades, once you start getting those press articles written about you, you start getting those ESPN interviews, people start talking about you in the Heisman conversation. How do you deal with that success? Do you go to practice with that same drive? And that's a learning lesson for him. Uh, and I'm sure that he'll learn from that going forward. The other game uh, locally that uh, the state was watching and pretty much the national audience was watching was uh, BYU taking on Baylor at home, double overtime game, back and forth battle here. Um the home field advantage at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, I think, was the difference in this one. Um, really rattled Baylor. Uh, we saw a stagnant play calling from Baylor in the second half, largely due to, uh, I, I think, really that the quarterback got rattled. I, I don't, I don't know what else to put it. They didn't really, uh, really attempt many throws in the second half. They just seemed like we're just going to ground and pound. And eventually it, it stopped working. So what is your take on this game? What does it mean for Baylor as they drop out of the top 10? But what does it mean for BYU as they vault up into the top 12? Yeah, it's, it, it was one of those games that wasn't necessarily pretty, right? Like, I don't think people watched that game thinking like a lot of offensive uh, scoring was going to happen or anything that way. It was going to be a battle of the trenches and it 100% was, right? Like, there, there was little, little intricacies that allowed either team to be able to kind of get an advantage. And it was BYU at the end that really did it. They, you know, they found a just enough plays to be able to, to get past Baylor. And I think it was a great win for him, right? Like outside of the, the kicking debacles that happened in the end of regulation and in overtime periods and all these different things, it was a solid game, right? Like a, a top 10 team coming in and I was really high on Baylor. I think I'm a little disappointed in their quarterback and kind of not living up to that moment, especially since what we saw you know, in the bowl game and then coming into the the beginning of this, this season, I was disappointed in how he played down the stretch. But I think BYU did a great job of making them a one-dimensional team and then just absolutely making them pay. 
And so I think for, for BYU, you have to be optimistic about this. It's, it's a great opportunity for them. Honestly, Lavelle Edwards Stadium has become an electric place. I, you know, I've been, I've been there for many Utah-BYU games, and there's many years where, you know, the fans are excited, but it's not, it doesn't have uh, an electric feel to it. But Kalani Satake is, is doing a phenomenal job there where he's bringing confidence into that fan base and into the, into the players and it, and it shows, right? Like that has become an incredibly hostile environment with 60 plus thousand people screaming their heads off the entire game, eating cougar tails and watching the moon, whatever that was. I don't understand the, the broadcast from that. <laughs> it was the weirdest. Yeah, that stuff. was a little awkward. <laughs> RG3 is uh, a little obsessed with cougar tails and, hey, and the I, moon. I'm all, I'm all for eating the cougar tail. Just please don't share it. Oh my if gosh. If you're going to get one, if you want, if you want to break it in half for your family, whatever, partake <laughs> that way, but don't, don't take the same bites from what other people are eating that's just, the entire that's just student gross. section I don't that's know. just gross don't, I don't do know. that please either way with that uh, with that aside I, I think it's a fantastic win for for BYU I think it does uh, a lot to kind of show a lot of people that were sleeping on BYU that they they mean business um, does that mean BYU suddenly going to win a lot more games I don't know you know I think they've got a great offense and I think they can do it their defense is pretty stacked as long as they can stay healthy um, for Baylor, I, you know, I have to think that they're still competitive in the Big 12, though quarterback play is a, a, a big concern. I think defensively they're going to be fine. The trench you know, warfare is going to be okay, but you've got to find a way to be able to have a dynamic uh, quarterback again. So that, that was kind of my takeaways. Um, it, was, it was a fun game. It, it was a little too late. I was tired and I wanted to go to sleep, but uh, it, was, uh, it was fun to, to kind of end the night on, on a game like that. Yeah, that was. Uh, I remember we were going back and forth in our in our text messages, and uh, we got the news that uh, Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua weren't going to play, and we're like, "Oh, we got to change our picks." Screwed me over. And we did, and we didn't have faith in uh, you know, I, I we didn't think that BYU would be able to to, to get the win. And nobody told us about Chase Roberts, didn't. right? Uh, he's he's good. So, and uh, as a freshman from American Fork, he, he'll be uh, he'll be really good for BYU going forward. But uh, really, a good game plan offensively, defensively and uh, good for BYU to, to vault back into the top 15. Uh, the other game locally didn't go the local way. Uh, I guess, you know, if you're a fan of Weber State, it went your way. I'm if you're a fan of Utah right State, now. maybe you uh, you turned it off. Utah State goes 2 of 15, doesn't score an offensive touchdown. They get blown out 35 to 7 to Weber State. Is this more on Jay Hill doing i mean we we both know that jay hill's doing an amazing job they're they're in the fcs playoffs almost every season is this more on jay hill and his team being that good or is this more on utah state has some serious issues that they need to address really quickly look as a weaver state alum uh i can't be i'm I'm biased here right like i'm fully into jay hill so no, I, I mean, I really do believe that there is there is a lot of that that goes into Jay Hill and just making his team competitive and being able to to really fight. I don't think he truly believed that they were going to beat Utah State. Maybe they did, right? Every team believes that they're going to, you know, be competitive and whatever. But I really think there's a lot of problems at Utah State. And I, I don't necessarily think that's Blake Anderson. I, you know, I think obviously as the coach, you, you, you're responsible for that. But the reality is, is they just don't have the playmakers right now that are, are able to do what they need to. Logan Bonner looked great last season at, at quarterback and, and did a really good job. But I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, his injury coming back from an ACL is just really too difficult for him right now. And it's really limiting his ability. And, and maybe Blake is a little blind by that, right? Like he's been his guy for like the last few years because he was at Arkansas State with him and, and he's seen him right. go. So you know, maybe maybe he's a little blindsided by that. Obviously, there's a there's you know a lot of stories you can read on KSL.com right now about him calling out the fans and and them booing Logan Bonner and, and the coaching staff. And obviously, that's that's uh, I don't know. You don't well, you don't want to be known that. for that. Let's talk about that. Is that okay? Is it okay to boo as a fan? Sure, like, absolutely. You're, pay, you're paying money to go um, to go watch this game, and yeah, like. I, I get it. These these are college kids, but at the same time, that's you're like you're paying your money, right? It's not like the team invited you to come sit and watch their communal football game. Like, no, like you're a season ticket holder. You're paying towards their athletic department. Doesn't that give you the right to to say or I mean, without you know being obscene? I think that that gives you some leeway here, right? Like, shouldn't you be given the opportunity to boo or when you, especially when you're seeing a performance like and when 
an FCS team is dominating you on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. Like, I, I, I mean, is there like a fan code of ethics here that I'm missing or I mean, no. what do you see here? No, I, I, I'm pro fan here, right? Like as long as it's not crossing the line and you're doing things that, that are really offensive, honestly, like I, I have no problem with booing. And, and the reality is, is they're not booing Logan Bonner, right? They're, they're booing, booing the coaching staff for putting him back in that situation. So it, yeah. it, it it's, Look, if you're going to go pay your money, these these tickets aren't cheap, right? Like even at Utah State, they're not cheap. You know, maybe the fans get or the students get in free or they get a discounted rate wherever your university's at. But the reality is, is you're spending four hours of your night trying to watch something. Yes, this is entertainment, right? Like I get it. This isn't like end of the world stuff here. But at the same time, like you have all the reason to be able to devoice your frustrations, right? That doesn't mean that the coaching staff doesn't agree with you and then they're not frustrated as well. But like why? Like I... I understand like calling out the fans and I think like no matter how this plays out, it's not a good look, right? Anytime a Mm -hmm. team boos their own team, especially in like week two. Now, granted, this is their third game of the season. That's not a great look. But then to have the coach really address it shows that he's really bothered by it. And, And I think that's not a great look for him either, right? Like maybe own up to it to some extent and say like, look, we're trying and Bonner, you know, make excuses for your quarterback, whatever that may be. But you've got to be able to go in there and just say, look, I'm the head coach. This is what I'm going to do. And I don't apologize for how I do it. Right. And if you, that gets you fired or if that gets you booed, so be it. Like be the coach, go do it. I actually think Blake Anderson's a great coach, but for whatever reason, nothing is gelling right now. And now he's fighting a PR battle against his own fan base that that's never going to play out well. No, uh, we have a poll up on KSL.com. Jacob Nielsen wrote an article uh, in the Utah State section. Do you think Blake Anderson's postgame comments about fan behavior was called for? 29.5% say yes, 70.5% say no. I, 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 I agree here. I don't think the fans were in the wrong. Uh, these coaches are getting paid an inordinate amount of money to put these players in a position to win. And if it's not working, you got to try something different. Like, I don't think the fans expect to win every game but they expect to see effort and they expect to see like some sort of in-game adjustments. Like if they're running the same play over and over again, and you're just getting beat, um, it's like put your players in a better position, like do something. And I think that that was the the biggest frustration was not that not at any individual player. Like the, I think everybody knows that, that Bonner's playing hurt, but, but you can't score an tr- offensive tr- tr- touchdown. Tr- like you can't no. even get a field goal. Like that's the crazy right. thing. Right, Against your an only FCS touchdown team. came on a kickoff return, right? So, um, they 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 got the ball down to like the what the two yard line and threw a pick, right before the half. So things, um, it, 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 was this a little bit of a side effect from playing Alabama the week before? Sure. Like suddenly your your team is just banged up, uh, emotionally, physically. Uh, you, you would have thought that, you know, playing against a Weber state team that you would be able to, to rest up a little bit and, you know, get your second team in just similar to what Utah did against Southern Utah. But, um, this is the beauty of college football. This is like, you know, all the other upsets we talked about Marshall beating Notre Dame, you know, Appalachian state being Texas A&M. This is right up there. Weber state beating Utah state. It might even be a bigger upset because you're crossing divisions, right? An FCS team shouldn't be able to beat an FCS team. And here we saw it. Um, Weaver State, credit to Jay Hill for what he's doing in, in Ogden. Um, and, I, you know, if I was a Utah State fan, I, I wouldn't throw up the white flag on the season quite yet. I think the season's still early enough. And you haven't played a single conference game. So your, your goal of winning a Mountain West Conference still could be up in the air. But you do need to see some adjustments from your coaching staff because what we've seen so far isn't working uh, they struggled against UConn, which UConn hasn't, uh, they, they've only won one game, which was against, uh, funny enough, an FCS team. So <laughs> they got blown out last week too, to Syracuse, like 48 to 14. So UConn's not very good and Utah State struggled against them in week one. So uh, we'll see. Um, uh, it does change my outlook for the Aggies this season. I thought that they would be able to repeat as Mountain West champs. Um, I, I don't, I, I just don't see it happening right now, but we could be mistaken. They haven't played a single game yet in conference play. So we'll see what they can do. Uh, the last game uh, that everybody was watching Alabama, Texas, we saw, um, Texas's quarterback get hurt early on in that game. It changed the entire outcome. We saw a controversial, uh, play by Bryce young, who some say got tackled in the end zone for safety, but some say that he was on top of another player and then was able to throw the ball away. But in the end, Alabama squeaks out the win. Uh, what is your take on Alabama? Are they a, a, are they a championship caliber team? Uh, 
or do they have concerns uh, going forward? And, you know, is this Georgia's thing to lose? Uh, yeah, that's that's tough, right? I think Georgia has definitely cemented themselves early as the favorite now. Um, but also they they haven't really – they played Oregon, right? Like, and I don't want to sit here and say that, that Oregon and Texas are on the same level. I don't, I don't really know. We don't really – we're not going to be able to see that. Obviously, quarterback play is going to be tough. Quinn Ewers is out, so – um, that's going to make things difficult. Um, but Alabama is still going to be in contention. That's, that's the reality. I think that the biggest issue for Alabama was their undisciplined play, right? This was one of, I think it was the second highest, most penalized team that Al- Nick Saban has ever had. Uh, you know, you cut out some of those things, and I think it's a different game. I, d- I don't know if it's like a noticeably different. Maybe it's a touchdown difference. But I, I still think Alabama's fine, right? Like, they're returning an entire roster that is stacked. You've got, uh, you know, Will Anderson that, that is great on the defensive side. You've got Bryce Young that is great at the quarterback position. Um, he makes some plays that, especially on that last drive of the game where, you know, I mean, he's about to get sacked, and he just ducks down and blows past the guy and then runs off for, you know, whatever it was, 20 yards. They're going to be fine, right? Like, I, I think maybe they're a bit mortal than people were, were giving them credit for. I think people thought they were just going to go through unscathed and, and be okay. Um, but I think for, you know, Nick Saban, this is a great opportunity for him. He loves to be able to, to kind of show that they can be challenged. And so this is a great opportunity, right? Like, Texas should have won that game, quite honestly. Like, they, they, they kind of botched it at the end. Um, and so maybe Texas is back. I don't want to quite give it them yet, but... Uh, I, I think Alabama's fine. I think it, they're still going to be in the top. They're going to be a team that's going to be one to contend for, probably make the playoffs. You know, we'll probably lose to Texas A&M just because I said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, just mess with everything. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't truly believe that Alabama's in, in any worry. I think Nick Saban is going to have that team completely locked up next week. And, and making them uh, look much better and more disciplined. So I think they're fine. Well, if you want to participate in the uh, top 25, go to ksl.com slash sports, go to the create your own top 25 link, and you can create your own top 25 fan poll. Uh, you can share it on social media. Uh, right now, Georgia is the, by far the favorite. Alabama coming in at two. Uh, the main differences with uh, – the AP poll, I guess BYU is 11th, whereas in the AP poll, they're 12th. Utah's currently 15th, whereas in the AP poll, they're 14th. So pretty pretty close to chalk. And I, I guess right now we're just seeing uh, kind of that preseason bias play in. As soon as these games are played, I think everything will settle out. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Honestly, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, go check it out. It's it's a great opportunity to kind of just see what your top 25 is and and uh, see if you can do a better job at ranking them and, and how it all works. So if you haven't done that, go check that out. Also, go check out our KSL.com college football pick them. Go pick five games each week that we have and uh, see if you can pick the score, see if you can pick the winner um, and challenge your friends. It's It's a lot of fun, but... Thanks for uh, checking us out at the Utah Checkdown podcast. Go give us a rating on uh, your favorite podcast platform, and uh, we will chat with you next time about the San Diego State. Have a great day.